the self-esteem will always be improved when you've been able to articulate to someone else what you're feeling as a result of what you're seeing that you have produced. It's no longer ephemeral. It's no longer abstract when you have something on paper. You've made something, a picture on the paper, whatever kind, and you have that to communicate to somebody who's interested in you, who's sitting right by next door to you. Hi, I'm Claudia, and you're listening to The Brain and Brand Show, where you'll hear science and inspiration from guests like neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart. Hey guys, welcome to The Brain and Brand Show. I'm Timothy Maurice. What an absolute delight it is to bring you today's show, which is a conversation about how art can help you sculpt your life, boost your self-esteem, build more brain capacity in order to lead, solve problems, and be more creative. My guest today is renowned sculptor Dr. Judith Peck, and she's the author of Art and Social Interaction. She's an author of several fiction and nonfiction works and a sculptor with work in 80 collections, including the Yale Gallery of Art. Dr. Peck holds a doctoral degree from New York University and two master's degrees from Columbia University. Her work is concerned with both reflecting and inspiring the evolution of the human condition. Meet Dr. Judith Peck. Enjoy. Dr. Judith Peck, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Timothy. Where are you at the moment? Are you in New Jersey? I am in New Jersey, in Mawa, New Jersey. That's northern New Jersey, near Rockland County, New York State. Awesome. So for people who are from around the world, if you were to drive to New York City, just to give them some context, or fly to New York City, how long would it take? Well, it would take an hour to, well, actually 45 minutes to drive. It depends what area of New York. We're close to New York. Okay. Awesome. All right. So before we kick off our conversation, I have this exciting new feature called Inside the Brain, where I'm going to ask you some fun questions and you have to choose one. Are you ready? I guess so. Okay. Let's do it. All right. Number one, coffee or tea? Coffee. South America or Canada? Canada. Michelangelo or Da Vinci? Oh, I, that's a hard one. I love them both. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll have to take Da Vinci because it's so uh, global. He's such an architect of the brain in many ways. Yes, yes, exactly. It's so funny. I I almost studied at a school called the Da Vinci Institute here, and I still may do like a post-grad, some post-grad work there. So you're so right. All right. Number four, bath or shower? Again, sometimes a bath, but I would say shower. Okay. Poet or painter? I am a writer as well as an artist. You're giving me tough ones there, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I guess I'll take um, poet. Okay. Train or plane? Train. Absolutely. I love the train. I have been thinking on the train sometimes. And our final one, this is going to be your toughest. Brace yourself. 
Christmas or Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Peck. All right, cool. Let's jump in. Let's talk a little bit about sculpting, but I'd like to enter this interview at this part of the conversation with, I want you to imagine you're sitting at a table. You are hosting Michelangelo, Donatello, the great African sculptor, young man named Tebe, Henry Moore. You've got these brilliant minds at the table and you guys are discussing the human condition, uh, the current human condition in this chapter in history. You're discussing sculpting. What do you think is coming out of this conversation? I know it's hard. This is a tough, this is a tough one, but I'd love to know where do you start? What questions are you posing to them? Well, I think, Timothy, the first question I would pose, I'm hearing this for the first time, would be about courage, because uh, it's always courage that I'm thinking I need more of. Uh, art takes a lot of courage, because if you're going to do something unique, never having been done, it's never having been done before, you know, you're going to need a lot of, uh, you know, self-confidence and courage. So that's what I would ask each of those guys. Uh, now, and also a second question, I would be asking about gender, I think. Um, Henry Moore always, uh, you know, did the female, uh, very few males. He had the resting soldier, I think was one of his males, but all the rest were female. Michelangelo, on the other hand, uh, did figures that looked male. They were female and male, but they always had this masculine strength to them. So uh, I would probably, the second question I would be asking oh, about wow. how they viewed the female figure. I myself do the female figure more than anything else. Uh, I love the circular lines and the curves. Uh, so I think those are the two questions I'd ask them about courage and about uh, their gender focus. Oh, wow. And I can imagine this conversation would be so rich as the wine continued to flow <laughs> by the end. Because of your interest in the brain, you might ask them what kind of food they like the best while we're having dinner. <laughs> yeah, I would. If you allow me to join that conversation, I'd also be interested in the link between exactly your point, picking up on your point, gender equality and the female form and how art influences it. Because I came across a study once looking at like if you go into any museum and you study what's happening in art, you can almost make a connection between what was happening in society at that time and just how much art influences politics and how politics influences equality and so forth. So I'd be very interested in mostly listening in on you guys, but I definitely would have some thoughts. You know, I love that, you know, famous well, quote by Michael yeah, yes. that would definitely enrich the conversation, uh, that uh, that topic, because the art certainly does influence politics and vice versa. Sure. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, I think it, you'll know this better than me, but wasn't didn't the government, the Italian government, commission a almost like a battle, almost like a political battle between Michelangelo and Da Vinci? to sort of demonstrate superiority and what in the region at the moment in that time. Do you know anything about that? 
No, I don't know about what the government did in terms of making that competition. I do know there was a fierce competition at the time. Uh, and, you know, just because he's uh, a legend, Michelangelo, and so is da Vinci, doesn't mean they had, they didn't have their competitive impulses and uh, uh, wanting to get the commissions that were most valued and so forth and so on. So, uh and also with other artists at the time. So they were human beings first and artists second. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yes, Michelangelo famously said, every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it's the task of the sculptor to discover it. He went on to say, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. Do you think that the the systems, the policies in society are carving a lot of the destruction, a lot of the dysfunction, a lot of the chaos? Or is there something we can do in our communities, in our homes to override that, to override what's sort of happening? I mean, I'll just share from my perspective in this part of the world where I live in, in uh, South Africa, that if you change the policies, it seems like, you know, you can get so much more out of people. It's like a chicken and egg dynamic. But at the same time, you don't want to take the responsibility from the community and just say it's a political thing. You know, it's like ask not what your country can do for you, but what can you do for the country? So, you know, from the individual community perspective versus the the political perspective, who's doing the carving is what I'm trying to get to. Okay. <laughs> Let me try to answer your question because it's a very profound global kind of a question. So first of all, I'm a carver. I started out by carving wood, uh, a lot of wood. I loved wood. But when you carve wood, to get back to your original idea about Michelangelo stating something is in the stone ready to be brought out, you have to carve with the grain. So you have both the wood and the artist working together. And I think this is where you're going, too, with the individual and the government, the whole global scene, uh, because you have to follow the grain of the wood. The grain of the wood is what's going to make your wood sculpture fantastic when it's finished, when you polish it and you smooth it, then the grain comes out beautifully. But boy, if you go against the grain, you make a stubble there, you know, like a beard overgrown <laughs> if you carve against the grain. So that oh, you, my goodness. you work with what you have and the individual, the artist, certainly plays a part in what you're talking about. Uh, I've been marching for our lives, you know, with this... Uh, gun control uh, situation that we're trying so hard and the youth of our country are trying so hard, you know, to get across to the rest of us. And there I uh, I have to remember a speech that Robbie, Bobby Kennedy made in Cape Town, where you are actually recording from, uh, when he talked about the individual uh, being so important to be able to do one step forward uh, and it doesn't look like much when it happens, but it's always been one step, one person who has made a difference uh, and the rest of us hearing the message and following. So getting back to the metaphor, though, of a carving, 
uh, I think that all of us have inside of us an individualism that can make a difference when we reach it and when we work with the grain and not against the grain. Uh, sometimes, of course, you have to move the sculpture in a certain way so that you can work with the grain. Uh, it's not easy sometimes. I and mean, you have to actually turn it around so, or even upside down, if you follow the metaphor, to be able to work with the grain and get the beautiful texture that, in a sense, you are working towards. Wow. You know, I got to tell you, I've been doing this podcast seven years and this is probably the first time where I've just been absolutely speechless. Like, you know, oh my God, like the idea of working with the grain, you know, you've got my mind spinning. Take me back to a moment where you realize that that's not much you can do after like, you know, moving the wood around or moving the object around and realizing that I've got to work with what I have. I mean, is that something you learned early in your career as an artist or take this, take, take us through your thinking around this? Okay. Well, you know, you've asked a couple of provocative questions. Number one, I would say there is a moment when you see you can't uh, do anything and then you know what you have to do. Sharpen the damn tool. You have to go to your stone and notice that that steel tool is not working as well as it needs to be. So you sharpen the tool and that's in a sense yourself. You have to learn more, research more, uh, read, uh, more to be able to tackle the task of, uh, changing the world or getting your point across. So there's that. And then of course, the second part of that is saying, as you look at it, you know something? This is it. I can't do anymore. I can't do anymore. Maybe I need help. But no, I don't need help. I'm the artist. I'm the one that's going to choose this. So then you say, I have to settle for it. But maybe I've made some step in that right direction. And maybe the next sculpture will be better. I've made a statement. And there it is. It's going out into the world for whatever it is. You know, I want to go in a completely different direction in this conversation, but I'm going to stay focused. But I do want to ask you one more question around sculpting and, you know, you being a sculptor. If we had another dinner conversation, but this time it's with your grandchildren. And they raised their hand and they said, Grandma, I want to be a sculptor. What should I know? What what are some fundamentals that I need to have in my mind if I want to begin sculpting as a professional or I just want to begin sculpting my life? What would you say? Wow, you <laughs> now you're you're moving from the global to the uh minute here, uh to the technical and the aspect. I, I had much more fun with the global. But uh yeah, uh first of all my grandchildren uh, they call me granny, by the way. Uh, they're granny, kind of okay. remarkable. My, my granddaughter just climbed Kilimanjaro and my oh grandson my is in the yeah, end result of walking the Appalachian Trail. That means walking all the way from Georgia to, uh, to Maine, uh, walking by foot. And so he just finished that. And then another grandson is starting a law degree at the age of 30 
Uh, so uh, they're all doing wonderful uh, different things. And, uh, my grandson is just now going to be a physician at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. So um, they've all got their their things in in mind to make a difference in this world. But to start sculpture, um, I don't think you have to start with clay. Uh, clay gives you almost too much rope to hang yourself. I like starting with uh, carving. Why not? You have a stone or a wood piece to work with, and you're going to work with it in combination with it and uh, make something new and unique. So you have to start by being careful not to kill yourself by cutting yourself. So you always work away from your hand, and that's not so easy to do. That's by turning the sculpture all the time and uh, working completely in the round, not by one view alone. Uh, and so um, you have to have a nice set of sharp tools, some curving ones and some straight ones, a good mallet uh, that's uh, hooked nicely onto its post so it doesn't fly off. So safety, of course, is the first thing. And then... Um, Work with the stone. Look at the stone or wood and see what shape it's in and what does it remind you of. Here comes the subconscious again and your own experience (laughs) and begin to see things in it. As a matter of fact, even in our book, in my book uh, that you are interviewing uh, later, it's all about starting by seeing something and not imposing your own uh, uh, will uniquely on the uh, medium you're working in. So seeing it first uh, is is first. We all see things. We see things in their patterns on the ground as we're walking. We see things in the cloud formations in the sky. We see things in uh, the cracks on the wall. These are wonderful images to inspire you. And so that's what we would start with. You, you have an extraordinary career and you could easily... Um, I can imagine be doing just about anything. You know, you are a fiction writer. Are you, are you currently, are you still working on a book at the moment? I am indeed. I've done uh, three novels. I've finished three novels and I am working on one. It's about an art therapist who happens to be able to solve a crime or help to solve <laughs> a crime through her uh, techniques. Oh, wow. Maybe when you're done with that, when we can have you back on the show. For now, yeah, thank you. Uh, For now, let's dive into the book at hand, Art and Social Interaction. You clearly love people. (laughs) Where does this love for people come from and why this book? Uh, It's interesting. There is a connection, by the way, from the sculpture, because my sculpture is quite a bit of storytelling. Uh, Each of the pieces could really have a title and a story behind it. Uh, so the, the the book Art and Social Interaction is all about people. Uh, it's um, a way for college students to learn about the major domestic issues of our time, crime, old age, mental illness, drug abuse, sexual abuse, domestic violence, um, and the youth that have so many problems with their uh, poverty, sometimes uh, education and uh, um, their own uh, aspects of violence that have to be dealt with. So 
this is a way for students to learn about these issues at the same time, um, giving their own expertise to people who are in confinement in one way or another. Uh, in jails, they're confined by steel bars. In psychiatric hospitals, they're confined by the inability of their brains to be able to do what they want it to do. They have no access to the logistics and the and the, the prefrontal cortex and the executive functioning. Uh, and uh, in the amongst the aging, they have the problems with their limbs not working, their eyes not uh, being uh, as astute as they were, their hearing not good. Uh, and so there's the confinement there too. And of course, the economic confinements uh, of poverty. So um, art is a way to actually free some of those uh, uh, confinements. And uh, that was what excited me about it uh, and that it can do it uh, in the certain way that you can get materials and projects together to be, and I'll talk about that later. I know you, you want me to talk a little bit about that, the actual process of it, but by doing these techniques, you can free your brain to be able to see on paper what you have inside. So that's the whole idea, getting on paper or in three-dimensional forms, what you're thinking and feeling. When you think about the ability for this work to impact and influence large organizations where teams can set up you know, the kind of principles and the kind of art process, do you see that this work could have an impact in the workplace? Yeah, you know, that's a new thought. I hadn't thought about that in actual workplace or careers, but certainly you're confined because the workplace is an institution. Uh, it's not a total institution like a psychiatric hospital or a jail, uh, but, you know, we all live within institutions. Marriage is an institution. It has certain protocols and rules. <laughs> Sure. It really is. And, and you have to be able to uh, have some acquiescence about your personality, uh, you know, coming in contact with another. Uh, but yeah, in the workplace, it can free up certain feelings you have. For example, when you have your uh, 15 minutes release time uh, from work and from the computer, you can do certain projects. And, uh, and I can explain them when you have some time for that how you can begin to get in out what's inside and out, you can get some release. And therefore I think you'd be better off doing your work that's legislated. Yeah. There are ways to do that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. So for someone, whether it's someone sitting behind their desk who needs some reprieve in their lunch break or a team building exercise, or it's somebody in a prison or somebody that's been underserved somehow, Tell us a little bit about the actual what's happening inside of us and how the actual process is impacting us. Let's talk a little bit about what's actually happening. Well, I'm, I can't get into the brain research, actually, what's, what's going on, uh, although it is kind of fascinating to understand that the, the brain works by what has happened to it before it works by experience and it predicts what you want to do. So that's very interesting that the more experience you, uh, that you have and the more experiences you have, in other words, multiple experiences, 
the more the brain can predict what your next step should be and what you're going to do next and what you're going to think next. So I find that rather fascinating. Uh, but uh, there is a particular project. Would you like me to describe it that could uh, yes in those lunch hour, uh, you know, um, respites that you get and you want to just release something? Would you like me to describe one? I would love it. Thank you. Well, take a piece of paper, ordinary Xerox paper, you know, from the Xerox machine and an ordinary pencil and uh, put that paper in front of you someplace on a, uh, on a magazine if you can, don't have a desktop to use and let your pencil roam around that paper. Just let it sweep back and forth and around and top to bottom and inside and out. Don't think, just let that pencil Move on the, on the paper every which way, this way, that way. I'm actually moving my cursor around the screen right now as if I was doing all those sweeps and swirls and movements, not thinking at all. Then after you've done that for about three or four minutes, begin to find things in the pencil lines, darken them. Close up the loops and the, and the round circles and maybe shade them in to make actual shapes and masses and keep doing that. And you'll begin to discover things. You begin to discover an idea, a story, uh, an experience and bring it out and add some color to it. Uh, it could be just a design at the end, which is fine too, because that gives you some confidence. You've made a beautiful picture. Use colored pencils or magic markers to fill in the shapes. This is a, uh, it ends up being an artwork, believe it or not. And then you can put a little frame around it if you want to and hang it on the wall. Something wow. from inside out has been produced. Amazing. And, and so part of your theory, part of your, what you've learned and part of why this is important for people is Confidence boosting, boosting self-esteem, just kind of elevating your kind of internal identity. Timothy, you have hit the nail right on the head. You have amazing insight to have said that because it's exactly those are the things that we want to to have happen. Uh, The self-esteem will always be improved when you've been able to articulate to someone else what you're feeling as a result of what you're seeing that you have produced. It's no longer ephemeral. It's no longer abstract when you have something on paper. You've made something, a picture on the paper, whatever kind, and you have that to communicate to somebody who's interested in you, who's sitting right by next next door to you, uh, you know, as we do in this particular program, or as anyone can do, uh, even in the workplace or at home, uh, with a, a parent and a child, um, with a coworker, um, you have made something, you can talk about it, and that other person has made something and can talk about it, the two together. It's always best done with two people together, working and getting ideas from one another and talking about it. Guys, let's pause for a moment. I want you to consider how profound what Dr. Peck just shared is. If for no other reason you listen to this show, this is a moment for you to savor and share with your teams family members, and friends. Art can help you translate yourself at a much higher level. Now back to the show. 
Wow. Dr. Peck, you know, this work is powerful. I'm seeing so many areas of possibilities for applications such as in this conversation around inclusion. I'm imagining women and men sitting together. I'm imagining older and younger. I'm imagining people from different cultures, different languages, being able to exchange these pieces of art and how it could just trigger so much connectivity. And, you know, at some point, I'd really like to have another conversation with you about inclusion and art and how we could potentially share this on so, so many levels. But like, I'm completely fascinated by your work. And I remember when your team sent me this and I, you know, went and I observed some of your work and I went and uh, dug into your book and so forth. I'm just absolutely fascinated. Like at some point I'm, I'm going to reach out to you when I'm back in the States and love, I would love to really connect in person and see some of your work, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, how we could set up a program like this, whether it's in a community center with kids or whether it's at a, at a prison or whether it's in the workplace, what are some starting points from setting to set up a, a successful art program? Okay, uh, I certainly would be happy to tell you how I would set it up. But first, I want to just back up on one thing that you said that made me think about it. Do you know how difficult it is to articulate something? Uh, you have to fashion something in your brain first that you want to say. Then you have to bring it in some kind of logical form uh, to uh, be able to mouth it. And then you have to articulate it to someone who listens. And that's very hard to find. People don't normally listen. They just are waiting for the time when they can talk about their own experience. Uh, so the, uh, the actual ability to have a conversation is a very remarkable thing. And it's almost like magic when you manage to be able to get all those processes done. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen, seen that in, in your work, uh, you know, to have it end up with the fruition of a good conversation. It's like a work of art. All I right. think we, we do. We do. I, I think we do. Across because um, uh, it does need uh, all those processes. And that's why it's so difficult for people. And that's where art comes in because Putting something on paper is a wonderful start to be able to do all that. Awesome. Thank you so much for highlighting that. All right. Now, getting back to how I would start the program, just as I articulated with a piece of eight and a half by 11 Xerox paper, putting something down, it's as easy as that. Uh, and you, you start with simple materials. Uh, you start with, um, uh, an opening to get in. It's not so easy to get into a jail, uh, for example, to have a program or a psychiatric uh, hospital to have such a program. So the first obstacle is to getting in. And uh, one way you do that, you get a sheriff to understand that your jail inmates are going to be better uh, to take care of and manipulate. And, and uh, uh, if you give them some kind of a release like this, so they uh, find that that's true. Uh, they're more adaptable at that point. So that's the inroad because otherwise, why would they let in, uh, young people who are about the same age as the inmates with a whole lot of materials that look threatening? Uh, you know, unless there was something, uh, to be gained for it. And of course, in the jail, it's security. That's the one thing that they're in, that they're anxious for. And this will make the inmates more adaptable. And, uh, if they do this, 
Uh, and in, that goes for almost every institution. The staff has got to accept it because why would they want something upsetting the institutional atmosphere, which is very rigid? Uh, so, all right. So once you understand getting in is the first uh, step. Okay. Uh, then, of course, uh, the book will explain in detail how you can actually start the program step by step by step. The book details all the approaches as well as the materials and the projects. Drawing, painting, sculpture, crafts are all uh, oh, the overview of what we're doing, but how to uh, process that without people being frightened of a blank page. Uh, that's how the book uh, creates the magic mix of art and social interaction. Okay. Wow. When you, are you sometimes surprised at the impact yourself, even though you know how extraordinary this, I this am. process I am is? I was talking with an inmate once. I happened to be there while my students were doing the program. And, uh, he had, uh, we had used Christmas cards and all that. And they could find anything in the card at all to bring out. And this guy found a rabbit, a little rabbit in one of the cards. And, and he made a picture with the rabbit around it. And, uh, and he talked about when we talked about what the rabbit is doing, he happened to be hiding behind a bush. He began to talk all about the alimony that he hadn't paid, and he was that little rabbit, and that, uh, and and the ways in which he was hiding, and the kind of things he was hiding behind. You know, some that were very clear and obvious, and some that were more, you know, diffuse and hard to see. So it's it's so amazing. And of course, this inmate had never made art before, uh, and he was just so astounded by the revelations. His own picture. Uh, revealed, you know, when he was able to talk about it. So um, I'm not sure that answers oh, wow. your question. No, it does beautifully. It's exactly what I was. I mean, I'm imagining you must have stories and stories for days. Any Anything else you'd like to share about some of the surprising findings and how people have breakthroughs going through the process? Yeah, although this whole program is dedicated to non-artists and it's delivered by non-artists because the students in this college, if the college sets it up, will not necessarily be artists, but the ones who are artists who wants to go, want to go on with art are impressed by the kind of creativity they're able to do once they're free of some of these, uh, uh, rituals that hold them back. Um, so I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing for self-esteem, a wonderful thing to expand what's inside of you that society doesn't give you much chance to get out, uh, in a normal day-to-day events. So I would say, um, it's a magic mix entirely. And I do uh, recommend it for many of the things that you brought out. For example, I hadn't thought of it about it in the workplace. Uh, it certainly works in the home. My kids always had a table when I was making art and sculpture. Uh, my young four kids always had the tables to create their own art and just gave them the materials and let them go with it. Uh, so I would recommend that for any parent uh, to do, to get the ideas from the book with all the projects that are spontaneous and geared to bring out self-esteem and what's inside of you and then do it and just as um, side by side is the whole is the whole way of going forward side by side. Wow, and that's probably one of the big things that I'm taking away because none of your kids 
are artists, right? No, none are artists, but they're all creative. My my uh, daughter uh, is a uh, uh, she creates homes and houses, uh, great big groups of homes and houses. She was named my builder of the year at one point for her ability to make living quarters uh, very much integral to your where you work and what you do for a living. And she's done that. She's fantastic with that. The other daughter uh, was an entrepreneur, an entire new business uh, she uh, designed uh, called WelcomeNewborn.com, where new parents uh, were able to um, get across uh, when their babies were born, uh, how to uh, send the notice to uh, all their friends and relatives through the hospital, she was an entrepreneur. And my daughter, my son, Joel, is a, a physician. He's a psychiatrist. Uh, he lives in Hawaii and is a psychiatrist there. And my youngest daughter, Sabrina, started an entire program called City Step. She started it at Harvard and it has now expanded to Yale and to Princeton and uh, um, soon to Columbia. And it's at Can as well. And it uh, takes kids from their schools and lets them express themselves through dance and drama with the help of the college students who are working with them. So they're all very creative, though none are visual artists, I would say. What I love about this is, you know, the listeners to the show are very intelligent. I think they'll be able to make the link that you putting on your kitchen table and giving them a space to create has probably helped them on their journeys in whichever field. You know, I had a neurologist on the show, probably I think 2020, speaking about how art can be healing. And I'm seeing these themes come through. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start researching this a bit deeper because I can see it in my own life that when I'm creating, you know, it's solving things in me. And, you know, sometimes I feel that we overthink this thing in life and sometimes giving people the space, like psychologically safe space to just, create and express themselves. And one of the other things I'm taking from what you said is sometimes we underestimate just how challenging it is to get our thoughts out and to communicate and how art enables us to do that. Any final thing from you before we wrap up? I've really enjoyed this conversation. I did enjoy it too, Timothy. You asked provocative questions, and I would say that you and I had a conversation. That uh, that little magic thing that I said is so difficult for people to be able to have. Uh, so uh, I do want to praise you on that score, and I I hope people do get the book. Uh, a new book is coming out, also by Rutledge, called uh, "Dynamic Play in Creative Movement," a book I did about movement and. Uh, the brain, how the body and the brain work together, uh, you know, to be creative and to be in, to inform about the world. So uh, that's uh, coming out uh, in October. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So Rutledge is the publisher. So I'm hoping that people will look into the book to see what it can do for their own lives. Well, I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to have you back on. Um, I appreciate you and I value you. And I just want to say Thank you so much for making time and have an extraordinary, extraordinary day. Thank you so much again. And thanks for having me again. A huge thanks to you, Dr. Judith. I've provided links in the show notes 
for you to get her book and follow her work. Please share this episode with someone you care about. Until next time.